invite your attention to Genesis chapter 22 as we stand before you this morning to open up for Brother Bloyd. One of the principles in the Word of God that is very frustrating to the natural man that we find in the book of Proverbs chapter 25 verse 2 says that it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. It is, a, it is to the glory of God to conceal a thing and it is an honor to the king to search out a matter. So we find there the uniqueness between God and man. In that case, it was mentioned as a king. But the frustrating thing about the natural man is that we want to see it right now. You know, with all the bells and the whistles, the Big Bang Theory, whatever it is, we want to see it plastered directly in front of us. But it is to the glory of God to conceal the thing, to hide it. The difference between a man and God, well, God is all-wise infinite. He comprehends all things. You'll never look up into this blue sky and see a beautiful rendition of an artist's signature in the right-hand corner. God doesn't need to label his work. He doesn't need a signature on anything. He is God because by virtue of the fact he's the creator. There's no limit at all. He doesn't have to identify himself. One of the frustrating things for a natural man is to see it all at once. But God says that it's to your honor to search something out, to search a matter out. In other words, he gives you the capacity while you are limited, while you are finite and you're not like God and you can't comprehend everything. He nevertheless gives you something, uh, a desire, the mind, whatever it may be, to search things out, to find them on your own. He that seeketh shall find And so we find that great principle in the New Testament. And as we study the Bible, as Bible students, we realize the same important truth is applied. In other words, we're not going to understand the truth unless we seek it. God's people are frustrated for the lack of knowledge that they do not have. But the same person may be a person who doesn't seek it, thinks it just comes by the natural flow of things. God withholds things. He reveals things. Um, The Pharisees did not understand parables. It's much more than the Sunday school lesson than a heavenly meeting with an earthly story. Oh no. Parables were designed to keep things from the wise and the prudent and to reveal them unto babes. The babes there are those who search out matters to seek things, to desire things. If you have a desire to know the ways of God today, to seek the truth, then it's your business to search them out, to look for them. And to see what jewel God has for you. In Genesis 22, we come to the very end of this particular passage. And I want to provide for you something that I believe goes along with something we've mentioned. And that is, we learn the ways of God by searching out various matters. And in some cases, those searches find us within the realms of providence. Because God sometimes testifies to you, the witness of himself, the confirmation of who you are, the truth of God, the various things in your life in a providential realm. Immediately we're thinking about the things that are around us that we know. You may have had a certain prayer answered recently that you know that God answered. No one else can, you could contribute to the answer of that particular prayer. You would decipher that type of information and the ways of God within the realm of your environment, your surroundings, your earthly providences. 
we come to the final chapter, if you will, of Abraham's life. Abraham is an older person. Isaac is probably in his teens, maybe in his early 20s. He had just presented Isaac before the Lord at Mount Moriah to present him as a sacrifice. Of course, he raised the knife and the Lord stayed his hand. And he revealed to Abraham, do thy child no harm. For the Lord himself, or the Lord will provide himself a lamb or a sacrifice. And so we come now to the point where uh, God is speaking to Abraham out of heaven a second time. What's interesting is that God is going to reveal more truths to Abraham. But what a blessing it was to know that God was able to raise his son Isaac up from the dead, if perhaps that would have been the extent of his sacrifice and experience on Mount Moriah. Nevertheless, um, he sees the, the God um, um, of life portrayed in preventing um, such a terrible situation to occur. And then he comes, after this experience, he comes down to share a little bit while Abraham is going to dwell in Beersheba. Now, it's interesting that assurances of faith come to us by a variety of ways. And I'm going to just point out the idea of providence here. But having said that, if you read the whole chapter, you can see a variety of things taking place that do not um, present the cause of of whom Abraham was and is in this particular time. In other words, you see his obedience of taking his son Isaac. You see him worshiping. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and we will come again unto you. We see a reiteration again of the Lord's promise to Abraham that he swore by himself to bless Abraham that in him should all the families of the earth be blessed. These are again reaffirmations or confirmations of the assurance of who Abraham was. Now, if you want to go to the cause of who Abraham was, you'd probably best go to Acts chapter 7. And there Stephen in his great sermon says that the God of glory appeared unto Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. In other words, when he was even before the land of Canaan, way back when. And so the cause of who Abraham was, was his being blessed to see the glory of God. And what a beautiful experience that must have been. But we're further down in his life now. And so in our mind, when we see all these confirmations, we're not saying, oh, you mean Abraham is seeing the glory of God a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth time? Is he being reborn over and over and over again? No. All these signs are languages, if you will, that convey assurance of faith, confirmation that you are a child of God and that God, what he's promised, is true. That's why that answer of prayer in the realm of providence doesn't say, oh yes, because of that I am a child of God. No, what it says to you, that it bears witness that you already are that God is with you, that God answers your prayers, that you are a child of grace. 
In this particular aspect of God's providential blessings, I want you to um, listen carefully with me. Abraham may be a bit deflated, if you will. I say that because I'm just guessing. This experience is past. God has already said, I swore by myself and no other that in you I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And I love verse 17. It says, in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed. And immediately we may think, naturally, that he's talking about a very large crowd of people, a nation. And of course, in some secondary way, it is correct from a literal perspective. But notice in this verse, God is going to elaborate something that is very, very important. Something we haven't heard yet, but yet defines exactly what he means by seed. We don't have to wait to get to the book of Galatians and read some Pauline epistles and find out the exact definition of what he means. Notice, he said, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. And by the way, when he took Abraham out and said, look at the stars. Now that again is a magnificent manifestation of a providential blessing reinforcing the witness to what God promised him. But watch this. He says, And as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. This is the first time a pronoun is used in reference to the seed. He's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised seed, who through him we would have all the blessings God has for his people. But now, in terms of visualizing that, here's Abraham, here's Isaac, a delivered soul. What's next? Well, let's just read it. And it came to pass after these things, verse 20 of Genesis 22, that it was told Abraham. Here comes a messenger. Has a message ever come to you with reassurance of the fact that God is with you? It was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, she hath also borne children unto thy brother Nahor. He's got, a, he's got a brother called Nahor. You know, it's interesting why all these names are in the Bible, genealogies as well. They may not be interesting to you, but they're interesting to God. And it encourages us to know a little bit more about this. Notice this, verse 21. Huz is the firstborn, and Buzz, his brother, I, I tell you, um, I guess about a month ago, I said something from the pulpit here that I need to correct. I said Job, uh, Job in the Bible was either a contemporary of Abraham, before Abraham, or after Abraham. And I basically said, along with a lot of other people, we really don't know. Until I read this verse. Because this verse tells us that Job was from the land of Uz. And Buzz is in the book of Job. And we find the descendants of Job and his family right here in this chapter. And so the point is, Abraham precedes Job. Anyway, Huz, firstborn, and his brother twins, Buzz. There's two names if you need them when you have some twins. Notice this. Can Mule, the father of Aram, and all these people are significant because they become you know, progenitors of families, large races of people. Chesed, Hazo, Fildesh, 
Jidlap, Bethuel. Now notice carefully these words, these names, because Abraham in his mind is thinking about the future. And Bethuel begat Rebekah. What do you think he thought about that? When he heard the name of a young lady, Rebekah. Isaac eventually marries Rebekah. Isn't that beautiful? These eight, Milcah did bear to Nahor, Abraham's brother, and his concubine, whose name was Remuah. She also bore Teba and Gaim and Phahash and Macon. But in that list of names is a secret. Remember, it is to the glory of God to conceal a thing. But it is to your honor to search them out. God is revealing in that name what's to come in the life of his own son, Isaac. May the Lord bless you. Appreciate the message that Brother Steve has brought forth. And I desire an interest in your prayers the time that we stand before you. I always enjoy worshiping, especially at uh, Christmas time, although we don't know that that's exactly when the... Uh, Lord Jesus Christ was born, it does direct and remind us to remember the birth of Christ. I enjoy the uh, time that uh, we gather and worship the Lord at uh, Easter, and it reminds us of the resurrection of Christ, even though we see that there's special emphasis placed on the resurrection of Christ, we are so thankful and so blessed that is something that we can celebrate throughout the entire year, that we just don't celebrate it only at this time, but we celebrate it all throughout the year. I'll share a few verses about uh, uh, the resurrection of Christ, and then I'm going to sort of uh, shift gears and, and uh, speak about uh, maybe something a little bit different. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it tells us why the resurrection of Christ is so important. It says, and Paul starts out and he says, um, verse 9, I'm the least of the apostles. I am not meet to be called, verse 9 of chapter 15, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And, and I'll tell you, um, if, if you just get a hold of that one thought right there and you carry that thought and you maintain that theme and that understanding and that principle throughout all of your life and throughout all of your studies, uh, it'll change the way you see God and it'll change the way you see yourself. By the grace of God, Paul said, I am what I am. I'm not who I am because of my own strength or abilities, my own decisions, but I am what I am by the grace of God. Aren't you thankful that you are what you are by God's grace? Aren't you thankful that God's grace is not just a part of it, but it's all of who you are? And Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. He says... And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. The Lord works it in such a way that, that he gets all the credit and he gets all the glory because he does all the work. And he does it in and through us. God uses his people to serve him. And it says... Uh, Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believe. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. The faith of Abraham, the faith of Isaac, the faith of you and I, that if Christ has not risen from the dead, he says, then our, our faith is vain. It's of no benefit. We can't put any, any emphasis or stock, or we can't lean on our faith if Christ is not risen from the dead. But he also says... Uh, and, and Brother Steve gets a great deal of, of pleasure when God blesses, and I do as well, when God blesses the preaching, whether it's uh, preaching that we do or preaching that we hear, we rejoice in that very much. But what Paul tells us here, that if Christ has not risen from the grave, then our preaching is in vain as well. Amen. We might as well just load up and go home uh, if, if Christ has not risen from the grave. So we're here today... And we actually come every Sunday and most Wednesdays to celebrate that Christ is risen. We're just more reminded of it at this time because of all of the other folks. Uh, I, I, used, I grew up working in a department store and, and uh, was, uh, would sell men's clothing. And I tell you, at, uh, at Easter time, that was a big time for suit sales. Uh, I would see over in the women's department, it was a big time for the sales in the women's department as well. Because folks would usually go and get a new Easter dress. I remember those little Mosley girls when they came and they uh, would show us the new Easter dress. Well, you know what? What a blessing that we're able to celebrate that, not just... Now, if anybody here has gotten a new suit, I thank the Lord for that if you did. All right, John, he said he did back there. But I'm thankful that we can celebrate that year around. The birth of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says that if Christ hasn't risen, then our preaching's in vain. And your faith is in vain. Our faith is in vain. And he says, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. Our testimony is in vain because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. And if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, then your faith, you're yet in your sins. It just gets, it just gets, just uh, continues to decline because he says that if Christ is not risen from the dead, then you're not going to rise from the dead. Now, I don't have such a problem dying knowing that that's not the end. But I'd have a problem, bigger problem, dying. Now, if I get sick, I'll probably be just like you. I'll spend all the money I have and the money that uh, I can borrow to try to get a little better. I don't, I'm not ready for you to call hospice in anytime soon. But I can face death differently knowing that that's not the end. I can face death a whole lot differently when I lay my friends and brothers and sisters and parents in the grave knowing that that's not the end. But what he's saying right here is that if Christ has not risen from the grave, then you don't have any hope of rising yourself. 
And he says, and if Christ be not raised from the grave, he says, then you still got another problem. And that is that you're still in your sins. Now that's a problem. Not only would we be not raised, not only would we have not faith, not only would the preaching not be of benefit or profitable, but we'd still be in our sins. Now that's a big problem. I'm encouraged, though, to know, as we looked last week, that when the Lord looks down upon us, he doesn't look down upon us with our sins. You remember how he sees his people when he looks down upon them? When he looks down upon us, you can go to Malachi, I think it was chapter 3, and it says that when he looks down upon us, he doesn't see us in our sinful condition, that we are in and of ourselves. But when the Lord looks down upon us, he looks down upon us through a filter. And that filter is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when he sees you and I, he sees that that filter, the blood of Christ, has wiped away our sins. You say, even the big ones? Even the big ones. That he's wiped away our sins. And so when Christ looks down, when when God looks down and he sees us through the blood of Christ, when he sees us, he really sees us not as who we are in and of ourselves, but he sees us through that filter of the blood of Christ. And he sees us and the description that he uses, he describes us as jewels. Now, that's something precious and valuable. You've got some jewels. If you're not wearing them, they're probably at home locked in the safe or in a secure place. Well, Christ, because of the blood of Christ, God looks down and he sees you and I as jewels. I don't believe he could see us this way if Christ didn't fulfill the work that his father gave him to do. And that was that not only did he give his life upon the cross of Calvary to pay the price for our sins. But when he was called forth that third day from the tomb, he arose. And when he arose from the tomb. Well, I wish you could hear. I hope you can go back and hear the message. Brother Bradley preached. It was so good. It was rich. It was a blessing. Blessed my soul. It blessed yours as well. The empty tomb. It was really, really good. Because of the empty tomb, you and I have hope today. Amen. Because you can't find the body of Christ in that tomb because it arose from the grave when the Lord called him forth. As was prophesied, Christ arose. If you remember the ladies that were ministering to Christ, Mary and Mary Magdalene, when they went to the tomb, they said, come see the place where the Lord lay. He's not here. The angel told them, he arose. That's why we meet every week. You can go over into Matthew chapter 27 and chapter 28. It talks about the crucifixion of Christ and how that Christ has arisen and you and I will arise as well. I was going to go to Matthew and look at those 
verses and the example, and we oftentimes do at Easter, and I hope that this shift in gears doesn't take away from um, the resurrection of Christ. I don't believe it will because it uh, is still about Christ. You know, it, I'll tell you one thing I really like about our, the way we worship. I mean, I, I mean I, there's a whole lot I like about it. But one of the things that I really like among the old Baptist, it's all about him. It's not about all that we've done. I grew up in a worshiping with a group of folks, and I shared this with a brother this last week. I grew up in a, with a group of folks, and and great deal of emphasis was on how much and how many. How much money can you raise, and how many can you help populate heaven? And and, and I'm so thankful that. That heaven doesn't depend on that. Amen. And, and I'm thankful that no matter how big I thought the number of the stars of the sky or sands of the sea, no matter how big I thought the population of heaven was based on my ability or others' ability to help, from what I can tell, it's much larger than that. And so it's not about us. It's about him. And he just blesses us to be able to be the beneficiaries of what Christ has done. Christ did it all. He paid the price. And as the songwriter says, all the debt I owe. You see, we incurred the debt. We owe the debt that we couldn't pay. But Christ paid that debt for you and I. Now, let's go over and look at one verse, maybe more. A verse and a song. We sang it this morning, and I hope the Lord will bless it to minister to you. I love this song. I love the meaning of the song. Um, Hymn 228, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. The verse is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. That's the first part of the verse. You may be saying, well, I don't have many friends. Well, there's a solution to it. You want more friends? The solution for having more friends is to be a friend. If you, I'm glad Brother Danny amended it because I'm telling you, he's got a lot of friends. In fact, I've, I've talked to him about that. He has friends in just about every town, about every state, and now it's actually in other countries as well. So there's a pretty good indication that if Brother Danny has all of these friends, he's probably a fairly friendly individual. Any amens? All right. You want more friends, then you need to be a friend. 
you desire to uh, have others that would have an interest or care in your life, you need to care for them. In fact, I saw, this is sort of a stretch, but I saw this saying, you may have seen it as well. It says, if you want folks to come to your funeral, you better go to theirs. Well, now, basically what it means is, if you want somebody to come to your funeral, you better be going to other people's funeral. You say, well, I don't like funerals. Well, you're not going necessarily for yourself. You're going to encourage other folks. You're going to help other people and encourage other people in their time of need. And did you know that if you go and do that, you yourself will be blessed beyond measure? I'll use this as an example. How many, uh, there were a great number of folks that went on Wednesday night to see Sister Jane. I know it's not always practical on Wednesday nights. I know that there's challenges and obstacles, but I tell you, for the ones that were able to be there, it was a blessing. Now, you went because you wanted to encourage Sister Jane. But let me ask you, this is sort of the the outcome of this. How many of you that went to see Sister Jane and encouraged Sister Jane, how many of you, while you were there, God blessed you and ministered to you, and you almost left and felt more blessed than Sister Jane did? Now, that's my, I mean, that's how God works it. And he works it, and a byproduct of that is that if you yourself want to If you want to have friends, you start looking for others to minister to. You start looking for others to help. You start using the gift that God has given you to encourage and help other people. And did you know what? You'll wake up and you'll be like Brother Danny. You'll have a whole lot of friends. You will. Now, some of us are just not naturally as friendly as others. You say, well, that's just not my personality. That's just not my nature. Well, we can change. I uh, was sharing with a brother this last week that uh, when, when I had the privilege of going with Elder Harder to the Philippines, that, that, uh, that one of the trips we had to fly, about a 45-minute flight from one island to the other, we'd been going just nonstop. And, and, and I was actually looking forward to getting on the plane and, and taking a little uh, siesta. <laughs> Anybody know what that is? No. <laughs> Brother Harder on purpose set by the aisle. Now, you know his personality. It's kind of like Brother Danny's. And I found out later why he sat by the aisle. I was looking forward to catching a couple of Z's. Brother Harder took that time and he met everybody that was sitting all around him. And by the time we landed, he knew all about them. He knew if they had children. He knew if they had uh, families. He knew where they were from. 
He knew if they had problems, he was ready to minister to them. And so there's some folks that their personality is just more inclined like that than others. Then there's others of us that sometimes have to kind of work at it. Well, the one I really want to get to is the next one right here. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. But he says, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I put an order in for brothers a long time ago, and and I didn't get any. I wanted brothers so bad. I really did. But I tell you what, the Lord opened that door and blessed me to have a whole lot of brothers in Christ. I'm real, real thankful for that. Really wanted some brothers. And I think that's a great blessing and a great bond and... And, and, and what, a, what a great blessing that is. I, I'm kind of like little Asa. He was talking to the Lord a lot, wanting a brother. You remember that? In fact, the last two or three kids, he would tell us, it's going to be a boy. Susan would too. But it ended up being a girl until this last one. And little Asa could tell you, well, I knew it was going to be a boy all along. I wanted a brother, but I'm thankful I have a lot of brothers in the Lord. But he says there is a friend, and he says this friend sticks closer to you than a brother. Well, who is that? Him 228. What a friend we have in Jesus. Whether or not you have a natural brother, be a great blessing if God's blessed you with some brothers. Great blessing. But whether or not God's blessed you with a natural brother, or whether or not God's blessed you with a whole host of friends. He tells us that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Brother Mike Kosky is going this afternoon to be with his brothers and their families, and he's all excited about that, and I'm excited for him. But if we're not all like Brother Mike and have a whole host of brothers that we can get together and see, maybe we don't have a whole lot of friends like we'd like to have. We have a friend, and his name is Jesus. And the songwriter says, what a friend. I mean, I I like the word friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Aren't you thankful that he bears our sins And he bears our griefs. You know, usually when I get discouraged, when I get despondence, it's because I'm trying to bear those sins. 
or I'm trying to bear those griefs. And I have to be reminded myself over and over and over again to give it to the Lord. He's able to handle it. It says, all our sins and griefs to bear. He says, what a privilege it is. Do we realize what an awesome privilege it is that we can carry everything? That's all of our challenges, all of our struggles. It's all of our disappointments. That's all of our heartache, all of our sorrow. It says, what a privilege it is. To carry everything to God in prayer. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get in the habit of picking up some of those burdens and difficulties and trying to carry them myself. And then when I get weary or realize that I can't, then I go to the Lord. When in essence, I should go to the Lord first and not wait until I get so overwhelmed. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Boy, this next one is so true. Oh, what peace. Don't you really want to experience peace? He says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. That means it's there for us and we don't get the benefit of it because it says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do you pick and choose? Do you only hand him the big things? Do you only hand him certain things? He says right here that There's a lot of peace that we forfeit. There's a lot of pain that we experience here in this life. It's not that we're not going to have pain, not that we're not going to have challenges and difficulties, but I tell you what a blessing it is when we can give it to Christ. I mean, when we can lay it at his feet, he's the one that's able to handle it. I tell you, Sister Kathy and Brother Steve, they could stand up right now and give a testimony about giving it to the Lord. When Sister Kathy was having major challenges with her mom and the decisions and what to do, when she gave it to the Lord and Brother Steve, it's amazing how that God just began to open all the doors and smooth out the hills and raise up the valleys to the point that Brother Steve and Sister Kathy knew that God was in the matter. The songwriter knows what he's talking about when he says that There's a lot of peace we forfeit. There's needless pain that we bear because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. Verse 2, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Well, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands there because it would probably be overwhelming. Some of you would probably hold two hands up because you'd say, "Uh, that's describing me. He says... Yes, we're going to have trials and troubles. But he says, we should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. I am am so blessed and encouraged to be around folks that live this principle. 
I'm blessed and encouraged to see Sister Perry, who is still at 102, almost 102 years of age, even though she's had challenges in her life, even though she's buried uh, a child and and had uh, lots of physical problems, that she doesn't allow herself to be overcome with discouragement because she takes it to the Lord in prayer. He says we should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? You may say, well, my friends don't understand. My friends can't relate to me. There is one friend that does understand. And there is one friend that does relate to you. And there is one friend that knows your need even before you ask. And there is one friend that cares. And his name is Jesus. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. I mean, that's, that's the solution for us. That no matter what our challenge, every one of us here, every one of us has a different set of challenges. Some may be physical. Some may be, may be financial. Some may be relationships. Some may be with children. Some may be with parents. Some may be... Uh, I, I, I get so despondent because uh, my dad, who's nearly 80 years old, doesn't do what the doctor tells him to do. And then I get to thinking, you know, he probably got pretty despondent with me when I didn't do what he wanted me to do. So I try to be a little bit more long-suffering with him in that respect. But the songwriter says, Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. You're not going to surprise God with anything. You're not going to surprise God with with what you're thinking. God knows your thoughts. You're not going to surprise God with your weaknesses. He knows all about it. The songwriter concludes the third verse. Are we weak and heavy laden? Are we cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise forsake thee? It's sad to see. Occasionally you do when friends turn on each other. That's a a sad, sad uh, experience. And it says in, uh, I think it's maybe Psalm 51, it says an offended brother is harder to be won than the bars of a castle. It means it's really, really hard. It doesn't say it's impossible, but it's hard when somebody's greatly offended. But he says that even though your friends might forsake you, even though your friends might despise you or forsake you for, for whatever reason, he says, you take it to the Lord in prayer. And I love this Last verse. In his arms, he'll take and shield thee. And thou wilt find a solace there. Thou wilt find a comfort. Thou wilt find a hiding place. Thou wilt find a place of refuge in Christ. He's there to help us. He cares. He knows our needs. He knows our struggles. And he'll help us in that time of need. What a friend we have in Jesus. We have a friend 
that sticks even closer than a brother. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.